Hello there and a warm welcome to When in Spain, the podcast that helps you figure out Spain and Spanish life one episode at a time. I'm Paul Burge and thank you for joining me. Coming up in episode five, as promised, part two of Finding Somewhere to Rent in Spain. In this second part, I'm going to be rounding up a selection of different neighbourhoods in four of the largest cities in Spain. Uh, we're going to be looking at Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia and Seville. So hopefully, depending on your preferences for cities and your preferences for uh, specific neighbourhoods or barrios, there should be something to suit uh, everybody's needs. Uh, all four of the cities I'm looking at are quite different uh, in their own way. Uh, it's always a bit tricky at first if you're planning to move to Spain to uh, stick a pin in a map and decide where to move to. Obviously, sometimes that choice might be dictated by a job offer or other personal reasons. But if you're not sure uh, where to choose, but you're looking for a big city uh, lifestyle, then hopefully one of the four cities that I'm talking about in this episode will be useful. In the last episode, episode four, uh, we looked at how to find somewhere to rent, uh, where and when to look, uh, resources, uh, prices that you can expect to pay, uh, how you should conduct your search. And I also talked quite a bit about um, various pitfalls and ups and downs involved with uh, accommodation hunting. Uh, I've moved various times since I've been in Spain and um, believe me, I've had a lot of a lot of ups and downs, probably more downs than ups, if I'm honest. Um, so if you haven't already listened to uh, the last episode, which is part one of these two episodes on finding somewhere to rent, uh, make sure you go back and have a listen to episode four first, because it will probably make more sense. For those of you who have already listened to episode four, uh, I hope it was useful. Uh, thank you for listening. And um, well, it was quite an epic uh, episode, I think about an hour in total. So well done if you managed to stay with it right to the end. Uh, this episode, uh, I think as well, is going to be fairly long because I've got quite a lot of information to cram in. Um, it's going to be a kind of whirlwind tour of the neighbourhoods in those four cities. Uh, before we get stuck in, uh, I really just wanted to say a really, really big thank you to all of the When in Spain listeners all around the world. Um, as you probably know, this is a brand new podcast show. Um, I launched with just four episodes. So thank you for being patient and waiting for uh, the next episode, episode five. Um, but yeah, it's been really, really encouraging and really heartwarming uh, to see uh, more and more of you subscribing and downloading uh, the shows uh, so far. So a big shout out uh, to all of you. Um, well, to those of you in the UK, my homeland, uh, England and Scotland and Wales. Hi, guys. Um, to listeners uh, in the USA and Canada, from Quebec uh, to California, across to New York City and Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, all of the states in between, uh, a big warm welcome. Hi there. Uh, good day to you guys down under in Australia. Thanks for joining us from the other side of the planet. Kamusta uh, to my friends in the Philippines. Thanks for listening. Uh, namaste to everyone listening in India. Uh, marhaba to those of you in the Middle East. Uh, salut 
and tschüss to all of you guys in France and Germany. Uh, Cześć to uh, all of you listening in Poland. Hey to you guys in Sweden. And of course, last but by absolutely no means least, hola to everyone here in Spain who's following this show. Muchísimas gracias. Uh, thank you for all of your support so far. I'm planning for this to be a long-term podcast. Uh, I've got tons and tons of information, insights, uh, experiences uh, to share with you. Um, so I hope you do continue to stay tuned if you're interested in Spain, Spanish life, culture, if you're thinking of coming to uh, live and work in Spain, uh, whether it be just for a few months or uh, years, or if you're thinking of uh, relocating uh, long term or permanently, or even if you're just interested in, in Spain from afar. I hope the information and uh, advice that I offer will be of use. So please feel free to leave a review or a star rating on iTunes or any of the platforms where you listen to the podcast. Uh, if you can, that would be fantastic. It really helps give the show a boost and encourage uh, more listeners around the world. Of course, I would absolutely love to hear any of your feedback, any um, advice or uh, anything that you'd like me to talk about or focus on in future episodes. Please feel free to let me know. You can do that by heading over to the sister website blog at weninspain.org and you can send me a message there. Uh, you can also uh, follow me on Instagram where you can see uh, my personal photography uh, that I've taken over the last few years from all over Spain. Uh, so if you're into photography as much as I am, go and check it out. If you feel like socializing with other When in Spain listeners, you can always head over to the When in Spain Facebook page. Uh, the handle on Facebook is at When in Spain. And if you're on Twitter, you can always follow me on there too. Again, the Twitter handle is When in Spain. Uh, anyway, enough uh, shameless self-promotion for now. Let's get stuck into this week's how-to guide. Uh, as I say, last episode we looked at uh, the practical sides of uh, how to look and find uh, accommodation. In this episode, I'm focusing on neighborhoods and cities. Well, what should you be looking for in terms of a neighborhood? Uh, well, there's really no specific answer to that, as I'm sure you're uh, aware. Uh, everyone's got different preferences. It depends uh, what your criteria is in terms of location, local amenities, uh, what your budget is, um, the kind of person you are, whether you want to live right in the center of a city with all of the action or whether you're looking for a more uh, peaceful, quieter existence. So I hope to be able to cover something for everyone uh, during this episode. I'm going to start with Barcelona, then we're going to move uh, down to Madrid, followed by Valencia, and finally I'll be looking at Seville. So if you want to skip forward through the podcast, uh, that's the order we're going to be looking at the cities, uh, Barcelona, Madrid, Valencia and Seville. Anyway, without further ado, let's start with Barcelona. Barcelona and Madrid always seem to get compared with each other. From my experience, many people are either a Barcelona kind of person or a Madrid kind of person. Uh, as I say, they're constantly compared with each other and they're very different uh, cities. They've got quite a different feel to them. Geographically, they're very different and kind of culturally, they're pretty different as well. Um, certainly in my experience. Um, 
Barcelona, I would say, well, it's the sort of capital of the Mediterranean, really. It's right on the sea. It's a beach city. It's uh, probably more international, some people would say, uh, a bit more uh, cosmopolitan than Madrid. Uh, has much more of a mix of old and modern uh, in terms of the architecture and the neighbourhoods. Of course, Barcelona is home to uh, the very famous Gaudi architecture that's dotted around the city. Probably the most famous being the Sagrada Familia, the great big uh, modernist style cathedral uh, in the centre of the city, which is absolutely amazing, really impressive, very unusual, uh, almost otherworldly, well worth a look. Um, Madrid, on the other hand, is, I would say, more traditional, um, probably less international, uh, whereas Barcelona seems to attract a huge amount of tourists every year. Uh, Madrid, less so. I mean, I think it is picking up, but not really on the same scale as Barcelona. And of course, Barcelona has a, its sort of very own unique identity. That's because it's the capital of uh, Catalonia. Uh, Catalonia is uh, a region in the north of Spain with its very own sense of identity. It has its own language, Catalan, uh, not to be mistaken as some sort of minor dialect of Spanish. It's a completely different language in its own right. Uh, it's sort of a cross between French and Spanish, I would say. Whereas Madrid is uh, very Spanish. It's a sort of melting pot of people from all over different parts of Spain that have come together. So there's a real mix of uh, Spanish culture in Madrid. I would say Madrid is more, yeah, more traditional. Some people say it's a bit more conservative, um, old-fashioned. Um, but, you know, it's open to interpretation, really. Um, I'm very fond of both cities, um, they're, but, but they are very different. I would say, in my experience, Madrid's sort of nightlife and atmosphere on the streets in the various neighbourhoods is unbeatable. It's incredibly lively, very vibrant. Uh, whereas Barcelona, in my experience when I've been out, um, it seems a bit more low-key, a bit more quieter once you get away from the touristy areas. The main nightlife tends to focus on uh, the touristy areas. Um, as I say, it's incredibly touristy Barcelona. I've heard some people make this comparison between Barcelona and Madrid, saying that Barcelona is like the very beautiful, quite stuck-up catwalk model, whereas Madrid is the sort of homely, cute, low-maintenance girl-next-door type. Um, bit of a strange analogy, but I have heard people say that before. Barcelona seems to have become really more the the brand of Spain. Uh, lots of people always think of Barcelona as a city destination to visit uh, over Madrid. Madrid is sort of overlooked in many ways in that respect, even though Madrid is the capital city. I'm not quite sure why this is. I don't know if whether holidaymakers uh, and people who want to live in Spain prefer to live on the Mediterranean, by the beach. Um, I don't know if the Catalan tourism department is in overdrive, attracting more and more tourists. Uh, Barcelona hosted the Olympic Games back in 1992, so that kind of helped put it on the map. And, well, I was reading an article only uh, about two weeks ago saying that the locals in Barcelona are really fed up with the scale of tourism in the city, um, complaining that uh, that Barcelona is losing its identity almost because of its because it's being swamped by so many tourists. I think I can't remember the statistics precisely, but in the last 10 years, the tourism has you know, increased 
Barcelona seems to have attracted um, the kind of technology and startup uh, environment that is becoming more and more popular, whereas Madrid seems to be more traditional still. It's a center of obviously Spanish government and international finance and banking, um, but Barcelona seems to focus more on technology and young companies. Uh, it's, I think it's sort of viewed as the, the cool place to be. And I think, you know, being on the beach and by the sea uh, has a lot to do with that. Anyway, um, I'm very fond of both cities. All I can tell you is they're very different geographically, physically, the way the cities look, uh, the climate, uh, the people, some of the culture, food, etc. is very different in each city. So it's uh, not for me to say. Uh, it's up for you guys to make up your own minds and do some further research. If you can, try and visit both cities and see what you think. So Barcelona then. The topography of Barcelona, uh, the layout of the city is really, really beautiful actually. So uh, as I've just said, it's a beach city. Uh, the beach is fairly new. The beach was a man-made beach made around the time uh, of the Olympics where lots of money was invested in the city and uh, uh, regeneration, lots of big urban projects which are really evident today. So you've got the, uh, starting at the coast, uh, the Barceloneta Beach which is the kind of typical uh, city beach that uh, most people go to. Uh, along from the beach you have got the uh, port area which has also been uh, redeveloped and gentrified with bars and restaurants. It's a very nice place to walk around. And then you have the uh, industrial port uh, further along the coast. So starting from the beach, uh, you if you head northwest into the city, walking away from the beach, you uh, the famous street that a lot of people have heard of is called Las Ramblas, uh, a tree-lined boulevard which goes from the port up into the centre of the city. At the end of Las Ramblas, you hit Plaza Catalunya, which is a huge, big central square. If you're coming from the airport in Barcelona uh, by by bus, uh, it's very likely you'll be dropped off in Plaza Catalunya. It's a kind of transport uh, hub. And then uh, heading up from uh, Plaza Catalunya, uh, you have a very beautiful, uh, wide, uh, very quite glamorous boulevard. It reminds me of a street from Paris, really, called Passage de Gracia, uh, which then takes you up to uh, Vila de Gracia, which was originally its own town. Uh, and it still has maintains its sort of own identity. Um, and as uh, Barcelona expanded and extended beyond the old city, Gracia was swallowed up by Barcelona. So you have Gracia uh, heading northwest right into the top of the city. And the thing with Barcelona, it's on a sort of, most of the city is on a hill. So downhill is sloping down to the coast and uphill is heading towards the hills and mountains which kind of enclose the city uh, to the north. Each side of Las Ramblas uh, you have got two distinct neighbourhoods. On the right hand side you've got the old town, the Gothic Quarter. Uh, a sort of medieval labyrinth of narrow streets. On the left-hand side of Las Ramblas, you have El Raval, which is a very uh, multi-ethnic, multicultural, slightly gritty uh, neighbourhood, but very central. 
And then uh, the other side of Plaza Catalunya, as I said, heading up into the northwest of the city, away from the sea, uh, you have a neighborhood called Eschempler. And Eschempler is uh, dissected in half uh, by Passage de Gracia. And you have Eschempler left and Eschempler right. The word Eschempler looks a bit like the word in English example. Uh, it doesn't mean example, it means extension or expansion. And these were the neighbourhoods which were built in the sort of early 20th century as an expansion of the city. So here you find it's built on a grid system uh, with large wide avenues and boulevards. Heading up north of Gracia, you above Gracia, you have two quieter and slightly more well-to-do neighbourhoods, I suppose, uh, called uh, Saria and Sant Gervasi. Uh, these are at sort of the, the, the foot of the hills uh, at the back of the city. And then if we head back down towards the coast again, back to Barceloneta Beach and go along the coast, from along the beach from Barceloneta, you have a district called Poblenau, which is, uh, well, traditionally used to be the industrial area of warehouses and factories, which has been gentrified uh, a lot. Uh, another area to look at is around the train station, uh, Sants. If you're catching a train to Barcelona, uh, it's fairly likely that you'll end up uh, getting off the train in Sants. So we'll have a look at that neighbourhood. So just behind uh, the Raval neighbourhood, you have uh, a neighbourhood called Saint Anthony. And then just above uh, Saints, you have another area called Les Courts. So these are the sort of main uh, central uh, neighbourhoods of Barcelona. Uh, not forgetting also uh, Montjuic, which is the big, uh, very big hill near the coast, near the port. Uh, it's not a massively residential area compared to the other neighbourhoods, um, but it's a very obvious monument in the city. You can climb the hill uh, to get views across the sea and the harbour. So let's start at the beach with Barceloneta. Uh, right on the beach, uh, the neighbourhood opens out onto the onto the beach, and it's used to be traditionally it was a, an old fishing quarter full of uh, fishermen and fishing fishermen's families. Um, it's a little crisscross lattice of fairly narrow streets. Uh, old apartment buildings of uh, probably six or seven stories. Um, I really like it. It's got a lot of character. I mean, if you want to be by the beach, it's a great place to base yourself. Um, it has obviously become very touristy uh, because it's near the sea. There are a lot of Airbnb apartments. You'll get a lot of tourists uh, staying in that area. Um, but it's a, a crisscross of very narrow streets. The apartments in this area tend to be well of varying quality, quite old buildings. The apartments are fairly small. So if you're looking for a large space, it's probably not the best choice. We're looking at two, three, maybe four bedroom apartments. Some of them can be quite dark because the streets are very narrow so it's there's not a huge amount of light getting into those apartments unless you're lucky enough to have one that actually uh, looks across the beach and out to sea price wise uh, around average price um, for Barcelona unless again as I say you have a, a beach a sea view which you're going to pay a premium for uh, it's a very lively neighborhood there's lots of little bars and cafes it's a great place to go and have a drink after you've spent the afternoon on the beach and I like it it's got a very it's a very colorful atmosphere everyone seems to hang all their washing out on their balconies in this neighborhood so you walk down a narrow street and you've got this riot of color of all different uh, colored clothes and bedding and sheets all hung up blowing in the wind um, and a 
course, it's a very central neighbourhood. You're easy walking distance from Las Ramblas, from Plaza Catalunya, and from the uh, Gothic Quarter, and of course the uh, port as well. So if we head up uh, into the city, away from the beach, uh, you're going to hit Las Ramblas, one of the most famous uh, tree-lined boulevards that takes you uh, through into the centre of Barcelona. As you walk away from the sea, on the right-hand side, you've got the Gothic uh, neighbourhood, the Gothic Barrio, which is uh, very, very interesting. It's a labyrinth of tiny little narrow passageways and streets. Um, It has a sort of medieval uh, feel to it. It's the location of Plaza Real, a very beautiful arcaded square, uh, which is a classic kind of tourist uh, hotspot to visit. The whole neighbourhood is very touristy. It's absolutely jam-packed with bars, Irish pubs, restaurants, uh, little boutiques and shops. Um, but it is very, very touristy. And the apartments in the, in the, the Gothic uh, barrio, the Gothic quarter, uh, tend to be very small, rather old buildings, um, probably quite dark. Uh, the streets are incredibly narrow. I think the quality of accommodation in that area varies quite a bit. As, as I say, the buildings are ancient, so you, you're not going to find big, light, spacious, uh, modern apartments in the Gothic Quarter. Across Las Ramblas, on the opposite side to the Gothic Quarter, is, as I mentioned earlier, El Raval. Now, El Raval um, has a bit of a shady reputation over the years. It was a neighbourhood where sailors who were in port and docked in Barcelona would lodge and stay. And uh, now it's a very multicultural, multi-ethnic neighbourhood, lots of Asian restaurants and shops, uh, North African, uh, uh, Indian, uh, Pakistani residents. And it's had a problem trying to shake off this kind of gritty, slightly run-down reputation. I'm quite fond of it. It was the very first place when I stayed in Barcelona. It was the first place I ever stayed in a hostel there. And uh, again, it's a sort of narrow labyrinth of streets. And um, you will tend to see uh, a few kind of strange characters wandering around. Um, It does have a reputation for prostitution. Uh, A few months ago, I saw a TV documentary on Spanish TV about El Raval, um, saying that it still hasn't managed to deal with a problem of uh, drugs, um, people selling drugs in that neighbourhood and a lot of the properties uh, in El Raval given over to drug dealers and drug dens and that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. When I've been there, I've never had any trouble uh, other than people coming up and hassling me for money. It's a neighbourhood where you have to have your wits about you, but I certainly wouldn't discount it um, at all. It's it's very vibrant and lively and property prices probably on the cheaper side, uh, the cheaper end for Barcelona. So definitely go and check it out. Just up the road from El Raval, you've got the Bocaria indoor market which is a classic kind of stop off tourist tourist destination but it's a really great market to go and grab some uh, food and then heading up uh, Las Ramblas uh, you hit Plaza Catalunya and Plaza Catalunya uh, above Plaza Catalunya you have a Schempler a Schempler left and a Schempler right the Schempler neighbourhoods are laid out on a very big uh, grid system. They're very large, wide streets with very beautiful uh, Art Nouveau-style uh, buildings, apartment blocks. Uh, you have a lot of the Gaudi architecture in these neighbourhoods. So you have uh, Schempler left and Schempler right. They're very similar neighbourhoods. I think Schempler uh, right is considered a bit posher than Schempler left. Um, you've got uh, many bars and shops and quite uh, expensive 
boutiques and that kind of thing. Um, it's a very glamorous area. It's very, very nice. Um, in this area, because it's a bit more modern, um, you're going to, well, not modern, but uh, the properties are newer. We're looking at sort of early 20th century. You're going to find more spacious apartments um, with a lot more light. Uh, so if you're looking for anything more than four bedrooms, you know, four, five, six bedroom apartments, these are good neighbourhoods uh, to check out. So heading further up to the northwest of the city, up Passage de Gracia, which cuts through the Echemple neighbourhood, you will come to Gracia itself. As I say, it was an old, it was a separate town from Barcelona that got swallowed up in the expansion of the city. And it still kind of retains a sort of village feel. It's a neighbourhood full of tiny little narrow streets. It's got more of a local feel to it. It's more where the locals go out for a drink. Uh, lots of students, got quite a studenty feel to it. Uh, the centre of Gracia has a lovely little square called Plaza de la Vila de Gracia with a charming clock tower, a uh, nice place to sit out and have a drink. And it is becoming more gentrified uh, as time goes on, like most of the centre of Barcelona. But I would say this, this, this part of the city still retains its own kind of separate identity. You, When you're walking around Gracia, you don't feel like you're in a, a, a big uh, metropolis. You feel like you're in a little separate town. You're not likely to find very big apartments in this area. Again, the buildings are old, the streets are narrow, and the buildings are very small. So you're looking at smaller apartments, studios, one, two, three bedroom apartments in Gracia. But it's a fantastic neighbourhood. Uh, it's getting a bit more, attracting more tourists. Um, part of that reason, part of that is because uh, Park Güell, which is just above Gracia, is a park that was designed and laid out by Gaudi. And it's really beautiful. It's up on the hillside. You climb up all of, the, all of these steps to get to the top. And it gives you great views looking back across the city towards the sea. It's a classic place to go and get your photo opportunity. If we head further north and further west into the city, you're going to get to Saria and San Gervasi, which are more peaceful residential areas, really. And lots of parks and gardens nearby, very elegant neighbourhoods, sort of neoclassical style apartment blocks. Um, it's considered fairly uptown, fairly upmarket, um, and it's just above a very large avenue uh, called uh, Diagonal, Avenida Diagonal, which is a huge wide boulevard which slices diagonally uh, through Barcelona. Um, known for um, having good international schools, tends to attract a lot of uh, people who uh, are get relocated by their companies to live and work in Barcelona. Um, so if you're looking for somewhere more peaceful and if you're looking for large apartments, uh, Saria and San Gervasi are probably a good option, taking into account that this is these are more expensive neighbourhoods. So you're out of the centre of Barcelona, but you're only a few stops from the centre on the metro. Let's head across to the train station, Sants. So Sants is one of the main, if not the main, train station of Barcelona. Uh, this is a very normal working neighbourhood. I have a good friend who lives there. It's a, it's a nice neighbourhood. The train station is in the centre of the neighbourhood. Uh, you have a big tower next to the train station, which, which is quite a useful landmark called, I think it's called Torre Catalunya, Catalunya Tower. And it's also home to apparently the longest commercial street in Europe, Carrera de Sants. 
we have lots of shops the whole neighborhood is again full of bars and restaurants and squares um, it's really well well connected in terms of uh, public transport um, I think that's because of the train station um, but you're not going to find as many um, cultural uh, things to do and activities as you would in Gracia or the old town the Barrio Gothico uh, that kind of thing. It's got a couple of markets, but again, yeah, it's, it's a real normal working neighbourhood of Barcelona. Let's head back down to the coast again, to the beach. So earlier I talked about Barceloneta. Along the coast, heading uh, north, you will find a neighbourhood called Poblenau, new town or new village. And it's also part of the Saint Marti district. Now, this was an area of warehouses and factories uh, way back, and an area which has really been uh, gentrified and transformed. A lot of the factories and warehouses have been turned into modern penthouses and apartment blocks. Um, it's a really interesting area. Um, you, if you're looking for large apartment spaces, this is a good place to try. It's right on the beach um, as well, and it's also home to some of the more modern architecture of Barcelona. You have the Torre Agbar, which is the Agbar Tower, which is a sort of curved gherkin-shaped skyscraper. And it's also a neighbourhood which seems to have attracted designers, technology companies, startup companies, uh, co-working spaces, that kind of thing. So it's a sort of post-industrial uh, neighbourhood um, which maintains its own identity. It's still a very much working, normal, everyday neighbourhood of Barcelona. Uh, heading back into the centre next to the Old Town and the Gothic Quarter is a neighbourhood called El Born. El Born is incredibly uh, trendy, uh, I suppose a little bit hipster, you could say. Um, it's really beautiful, uh, it's full of very nice restaurants and bars and charming little boutiques and shops. It's a really uh, nice neighbourhood to have a wander around. It's got good nightlife, it's kind of a hot spot in Barcelona, I suppose. It is pretty touristy, uh, it does seem to have attracted a lot of uh, English speakers and uh, international residents from all over the place. Um, but it's worth, it's worth checking out. Again, it's one of the more uh, expensive neighbourhoods in the city. Also worth mentioning is the neighbourhood called Saint Anthony, uh, which is the other side of El Raval and is um, just below um, a Schempler left. Again, it's a bit like a Schempler. It's like a grid of wide uh, avenues and boulevards. Um, it's got a lovely market, which has just reopened after being closed for many, many years uh, to be uh, refurbished. And so it's got a lovely indoor market. And it's a really pleasant uh, neighbourhood of tree-lined streets. So if you want a sort of slightly cheaper version of a Schempler, uh, St. Anthony is a, a good bet. And you're going to get average size apartments in this area, three, four bedrooms. You may, you may find some uh, bigger than that. So that's Barcelona. Let's have a look at Madrid. I've lived in Madrid for many years and uh, I absolutely love it. So um, I don't want you to think I'm uh, being uh, a bit biased. I shall give an impartial look at uh, Madrid and what it's like to live here. So let's start right in the centre. The very geographical centre of Madrid is called La Puerta del Sol. Uh, and it's a sort of semicircle-shaped square. 
And all of the area around Puerta del Sol uh, is very commercial. So it's lots of shops, department stores, uh, restaurants, cafes, bars, etc. It's very lively. I wouldn't really necessarily consider this uh, a a major residential area. However, there are apartments all over um, the centre. Um, this is going to be a very noisy, very lively um, part of the city. So if you're looking for somewhere quiet, uh, really this is not the place. The apartments in this area are fairly large, uh, probably six, seven, eight storeys um, with balconies. Um, you could find three, four, five bedroom apartments uh, there. Uh, heading southeast from the very centre of Madrid, you have a neighbourhood called Huertas, or sometimes it's known as Las Letras, and it's the literary quarter of Madrid. It's the neighbourhood where Cervantes uh, lived, and it's a really pretty neighbourhood, uh, lots of very narrow little cobbled streets that run downhill. Um, very lively, very busy, uh, fairly touristy. It's full of bars and restaurants and cafes. There is one main street in Huertas called Calle de Huertas, Huertas Street, which is like the main pedestrianized sort of thoroughfare which leads you down uh, to the Paseo del Prado. The Paseo del Prado is a very large, wide, tree-lined boulevard. Uh, which is home to many of Madrid's museums, of course, including the Prado Museum. But Huertas, yeah, it's, it's the first place I ever lived in Madrid. Uh, it's, it's great if you're new to the city. Uh, it seems to attract lots of people from outside of Spain who decide to go and live in this neighbourhood. As I say, it's fairly touristy. It's very loud at night. There's lots of nightlife around uh, the neighbourhood. Apartments are going to be a little bit smaller. The streets and buildings are older and smaller and narrower. And you're going to find two, three, maybe four bedroom apartments in Huertas. Uh, if you want all of the nightlife uh, right on your doorstep, uh, Huertas is a good choice and it's also incredibly central, uh, easy walking distance to everything in the centre of Madrid really. Uh, just south of Huertas, uh, you've got a couple of different neighbourhoods. Uh, you have Lavapiés and El Rastro. Uh, Lava PS is one of my favourite neighbourhoods in Madrid. It's very uh, diverse in terms of the population. It was really the first neighbourhood that seemed to attract a lot of uh, immigrants when they came and settled in, in, in the city. So you're going to find lots of interesting little shops and restaurants selling Asian and North African uh, food. Um, again, it's incredibly lively. It's a neighbourhood where um, more the locals tend to go out and socialise and drink. It is a little bit touristy, but it's not as touristy as the very centre. And it's a real maze of hilly, narrow streets and squares. Um, I love it. It's very lively. It seems to be lively uh, all week long, um, but it's a really good place for going out. Um, and if you're looking at accommodation here, it's probably at the cheaper end of the spectrum uh, for the centre of Madrid. You will find the quality of accommodation varies quite a lot. When I was looking in Madrid, I looked at a few places in Lava PS which were <laughs> really bad quality, really small and dark and dingy. So kind of luck of the draw. But it's a, it's a great neighbourhood, um, definitely worth checking out. Just next to Lava PS, you have El Rastro which is home to Madrid's uh, weekly flea market on a Sunday. 
uh, very similar in terms of feel. Uh, it's very uh, old-fashioned, uh, narrow, little narrow cobbled streets and squares. Um, fairly lively, probably a bit quieter than Lava PS. Um, I live between El Rastro and another neighbourhood called La Latina. It's a mixture of old cafes, restaurants and bars um, and uh, yeah, antique shops as well. Just uh, next to Huertas and north of Lavapiés is La Latina. La Latina is uh, considered the oldest neighbourhood in Madrid and uh, it's really pretty. Really, really beautiful with squares and churches. Um, has a really great, uh, very traditional indoor market. Uh, it's one of my favourite neighbourhoods in Madrid. It has a very historic feel to it. You can wander around the back streets of La Latina and you wouldn't feel like you were in a big capital city. You could have, you could be in some small little town somewhere in the middle of Spain. Uh, absolutely fantastic for going out. Very lively nightlife, um, packed with bars and restaurants. It's sort of one of the neighbourhoods where everyone goes to to go out. So people who live in other parts of Madrid uh, will make a make a point of going to La Latina to to, to go for a night out. Uh, it's also home to Cavabaja, a very famous street to go uh, for tapas. So it's packed with tapas restaurants and bars. Um, quite a noisy neighbourhood. Um, in terms of property, you're going to have a real mixture. Average size properties, average prices um, as well. It's incredibly central. It's also home to Plaza Mayor, the famous uh, square in the centre of Madrid. Uh, in the south of the city, uh, near the main train station, uh, the area called Atocha. This is uh, a good area to look for. Fairly spacious apartments, uh, slightly more modern blocks uh, that date from uh, the mid-20th century right up to the 1960s and 70s. It's not one of the most beautiful areas of Madrid. But uh, you could find you can find some fairly good quality and affordable property uh, in this area. Uh, it's just south of the uh, Retiro Park, so you've got a huge green space right on your doorstep. It's a really good area to consider. Uh, to the north of the Retiro Park, you have the Salamanca neighbourhood, Barrio de Salamanca. Now, Salamanca is the posh neighbourhood of Madrid. It's, I don't know, like the Kensington or Chelsea in London, I suppose, the equivalent. It, unlike the other neighbourhoods I've just talked about, uh, it's not uh, a labyrinth of narrow winding streets. It's a uh, based on a grid system of uh, fairly wide uh, avenues and boulevards. Uh, it's very green and leafy. It's the more elite neighbourhood in the centre of Madrid. So you're going to find streets with very posh restaurants, and uh, expensive boutiques and that kind of thing. Um, but as I said in the previous episode, in episode four, um, you could luck out and you could find an apartment um, for the similar price to other neighbourhoods if you're lucky in Salamanca. It is known for its large penthouses and big townhouses and this kind of thing. It's a really lovely neighbourhood to have a walk around. Um, but maybe it lacks a sort of atmosphere and ambience to it. it was, it's, it's much quieter uh, than uh, other neighbourhoods in the centre of Madrid. Just across to the west of Salamanca is a much smaller neighbourhood called Chueca. This is uh, known as Madrid's gay neighbourhood. 
Um, it's a really pretty neighborhood full of really cool bars and uh, boutiques and shops and restaurants. Um, it's really considered the very center uh, of Madrid as well. It's just uh, to the north of uh, Gran Bia. Gran Bia is one of the main shopping, well, the main shopping street in the centre of Madrid, a very large, wide uh, avenue. So Chueca lies just to the north of there. Um, again, very, very gentrified, very, a very cleaned up, uh, pretty neighbourhood. Uh, it's on the more expensive side because of its central location and the quality of the properties there is pretty good. You can find uh, some very nice spacious light apartments. It's a kind of mixture of uh, quite wide avenues and then little narrow streets. Um, so that's Chueca. And then just uh, heading further uh, west from Chueca, you've got Malasaña. Malasaña is a very very well-known neighbourhood in uh, Madrid. Traditionally, it was known as the sort of alternative neighbourhood um, during the La Movida of the 1980s when Spain had its sort of cultural revolution. Uh, this was the centre of very avant-garde uh, cinema, fashion, music... And it still kind of retains that alternative edge, I suppose. It has become a lot more gentrified. It's fairly hipster. It attracts lots of students, international students. So it's very, it's a very boisterous and lively neighbourhood. It's great fun for going out in. I wouldn't consider it if you're looking for the very traditional Madrid, but nonetheless, it's an exciting and very vibrant neighbourhood uh, with tons going on in terms of culture, um, lots of events, cinemas, theatres, that kind of thing. And then just to the north of Malasaña and Chueca is Alonso Martinez. Alonso Martinez is uh, quite a grand neighbourhood. It sort of uh, borders Salamanca and Malasaña. And it's uh, a neighbourhood of very wide tree-lined streets and avenues and boulevards. It, it does feel quite residential, um, but it does border on Malasaña, which so you're very uh, short walking distance uh, from uh, lots of nightlife. Really beautiful, elegant apartment buildings. Uh, this is a good area to look at if you're looking for large apartments, and also if you want a kind of good mix of downtown living and but not too busy and not too noisy. On the more expensive side, it's a very desirable neighbourhood in Madrid, but it is becoming uh, increasingly expensive. So there's a quick uh, rundown of the central neighbourhoods in Madrid. There are many, many others. As you head towards the north or the south of the city, you are going to find uh, less expensive neighbourhoods. But as I said, the focus of this podcast was always going to be looking at the very central uh, neighbourhoods of the cities. Let's head across to Valencia. Valencia is uh, uh, very large. It's the third largest city in Spain after Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, it's one of my favourite cities. I, I really like it. It has a good mixture of uh, beach and big city living. Uh, the centre of Valencia is, is very, very beautiful. 
um, very pretty. It has a, a very beautiful historic centre. And then a, a bit like Barcelona, it has sort of like these early 20th century extensions to the city with very grand boulevards, palm tree lined avenues, has some very quirky neighbourhoods. And then, of course, you have the uh, the beach as well. Now, the beach isn't in the centre of the city. The beach is actually, if you're walking from the centre of the city, the beach is a good, solid hour walk I would say, if not a bit longer, um, you can catch a bus or a tram uh, to the beach, which takes probably about half an hour or so from the centre. So unlike Barcelona, uh, the beach in Valencia is sort of very separate from the actual city itself. Let's start in the centre. You have the Ciutat Bella, the old city. Uh, it's the absolute historical heart. It has all of the classic uh, touristy places to see, the beautiful cathedral, uh, the amazing indoor central market and the town hall and lots of beautiful large squares. Uh, properties in the centre, again, do tend to be very small and a bit darker on the narrow streets, purely because they are in very uh, old sort of medieval style buildings. Um, but of course you have everything on your doorstep when you're in the centre. To the north of the old part of the city you have uh, El Carmen or El Carme. Um, and this is a very compact, walkable uh, neighbourhood um, which includes the uh, Cathedral of Valencia and uh, and it has uh, parts of the old walled city and some of the old fortress towers of the city as well it's really pretty uh, again it's a sort of labyrinth of little narrow interconnected streets and squares um, but it sort of has a reputation for being a slightly rough and ready part of the town uh, just next to El Carmen again and still in the old city you have the Barrio La Seu and this is home to uh, two of the most famous squares in uh, Valencia, the Plaza de la Vergin and Plaza de la Reina. Uh, really beautiful, very traditional, very pretty squares. Uh, just to the south of the old city centre is an area called Echempla. Again, similar to, same meaning as Echempla in Barcelona. It's a more modern, early 20th century extension of the city. Uh, very grand boulevards and avenues, very green. Uh, the sort of centre of it is uh, a very wide uh, avenue called uh, Gran Via del Marques del Turia. Uh, beautiful palm tree lined street with a park in the middle of it. Um, really grand. Um, you're going to find very large apartment blocks here. So if you're looking for more spacious uh, accommodation, uh, this area is a good bet. And uh, the boulevards lead to the Turia River Park. A quick point to make here is that there used to be, up until about the 1950s, uh, a, a river running through the centre of uh, Valencia called the River Turia. And because of uh, regular and extensive flooding, they decided to divert the river uh, away from the city centre and they turned the river uh, into a park. Uh, it's a huge park that sweeps uh, all the way through the centre of the city and you can see, you can tell that it used to be a river because uh, it uh, has many bridges and streets uh, crossing the park. Uh, so you can imagine uh, 
how it was before. You could so it, it looks like it used to be a river, and the park is fantastic. Uh, really, anywhere in the city, or certainly anywhere in the centre of the city, you're never really very far uh, from this park as it curves right through the centre. Part of the Ashempla neighbourhood, uh, again one of my favourite parts of Valencia, is uh, a neighbourhood, a sort of neighbourhood within the Ashempla neighbourhood called Rusafa. Uh, now, this is a sort of very rapidly gentrifying district, uh, apparently once known as a sort of rougher part of town. It has become known as the sort of hip area of Valencia, um, so you can find almost anything here. The centre of the neighbourhood, there is a, a fantastic indoor uh, Rusafa market, um, and it's a really pretty uh, neighbourhood as well, of a, a lattice crisscross of narrow streets. Um, lots of great places for food and uh, a really good neighbourhood for a night out. So it's fairly lively, fairly noisy. So if you're looking for an alternative neighbourhood, uh, this is the place to be in Valencia. So let's head uh, away from the centre a little bit and let's cross over the Turia River Park and head over to a neighbourhood called Benimaclet. Uh, Benimaclet is uh, very close to the University of Valencia, so for this reason it's a very studenty, uh, lively neighbourhood. Uh, it's a more modern part of the city, uh, not exactly uh, as beautiful as the centre. Uh, it was an independent town until the early 1980s, and it's home to lots of discount bars and restaurants. Um, it's quite a multicultural neighbourhood, uh, lots of university buildings, good transport connections. Um, so it's quite popular with nightlife for concert venues and bars and that kind of thing. In terms of accommodation, it's going to be a slightly cheaper uh, area. Uh, um, fairly large um, apartments because the apartment blocks in this part of town are, are much more modern, sort of dating from the 1940s, 50s, 60s. Just south of Benimaclet is Mestalla. Mestalla and its uh, neighbouring uh, barrio called San Jose, uh, just to the east of the city centre, uh, again quite close to the Turia Park. Uh, it's a bit closer to the city centre than Benimaclet. Uh, has a very large sort of international student community. Um, it's sort of home to a lot of Erasmus students, uh, international students, uh, lively atmosphere of pubs and bars and that kind of thing. So if you're looking for the uh, quiet life, this is probably not the neighbourhood for you. But if you're, uh, you know, in your 20s and looking for a lively, youthful, studenty vibe, then these three neighbourhoods, Benimaclet, Mestalla and San Jose are probably a good choice and you're going to find cheaper than average accommodation prices as well. Uh, just to the southwest of the old city and quite near uh, one of the main uh, large squares called uh, Plaza España and near the uh, Plaza de Toros, the bullring and also quite near to the one of Valencia's train stations, uh, Valencia North Station is an area called Patraish. Patraish is a very uh, normal working neighbourhood of Valencia. Uh, it's fairly affordable in terms of prices. Uh, you're only about 15 or 20 minute walk from the centre, uh, but it's also well connected with uh, bus routes. Uh, some of my friends who live in Valencia say that this is the real authentic Spanish neighbourhood in Valencia. It's a very close-knit community, a very traditional area where everyone seems to know each other, lots of local Spanish shops. 
It has a good market as well, Mercado de Jesus, which is one of the most important markets in the city. So it's a very relaxed and calm uh, working neighborhood, normal neighborhood. Uh, it's off the beaten track, really. It's not, uh, you're not going to see many tourists wandering around. But what about if you want to live near the beach? Well, uh, one option would be a neighborhood called El Cabañal. Um, the beach, as I said, uh, is not in the not near the centre of the city. The beach is located uh, to the east of the city. Uh, the most well-known beach uh, closest to the centre is called Malbarossa. Uh, Malbarossa is a really uh, it's a fantastic beach. It's huge. It's incredibly long. And it's also really a very wide beach. It's one of the widest beaches I think I've ever seen. If you're looking to live near the beach, um, well, I don't know, some people, I have some friends and people I know who I've spoken to have said, really, unless you're a real beach fanatic, uh, living near the beach in El Cabañal, which is a neighbourhood just behind the beach, um, well, I know, not really worth it because you're always uh, quite a long way from the centre of Valencia. And you're always quite far from many of the other neighbourhoods. So if you live in Cabañal, yeah, fantastic. You've got the beach right on your doorstep. But you might find yourself commuting uh, half an hour or so or more, 45 minutes, uh, to get to the centre, depending on where you're working or where you're studying. Um, but if you, indeed you are looking to live near Valencia's beach, El Cabañal is the place to be. Um, it's on uh, uh, numerous metro lines that go to the centre. It used to be, uh, obviously, because of its proximity to the beach, the old fisherman's quarter. In this neighbourhood, it's very low-rise houses. Uh, you don't have any big, tall apartment blocks. So it's little narrow streets of maybe three-storey houses. Again, it was once upon a time a completely separate town from Valencia, uh, which has now been incorporated into the city. Uh, it's fairly quiet. Some parts of it are a little bit rough and ready, I've heard, but it does have a kind of slightly run-down charm to the neighbourhood, I suppose. Um, also, uh, you've got some really good uh, restaurants uh, in this neighbourhood for paella, the traditional rice dish that uh, comes from Valencia. So if you want to try paella, uh, El Cabañal has uh, a few uh, very uh, recommendable restaurants. So to round off today's podcast, let's head down to the deep south to Andalusia and Seville or Sevilla. Sevilla tiene un color especial. Sevilla sigue teniendo su puente España Profunda, the deep Spain. Sevilla tiene un color especial. Uh, for me, it's the Spain uh, that I imagined uh, as a child, as a teenager. Uh, whitewashed buildings, flamenco, orange trees, um, absolutely beautiful city. Uh, if you don't decide to come and live in Seville, you absolutely have to make a visit. If you're looking for the really deep traditional Spain, you uh, wouldn't go far wrong uh, choosing to live in Seville. Uh, but if you have an aversion to heat, it probably is best to avoid. It gets incredibly hot in Seville. Uh, in the summer months. I think Seville is uh, the hottest city in Europe on average and in the summer months it can get up into the 40s uh, or well above a, well above 100 uh, Fahrenheit uh, on a daily basis. So let's start in the very centre of Seville uh, in the neighbourhood called Santa Cruz. 
This is the area where Seville's mighty cathedral sits, uh, a huge uh, imposing cathedral. Um, and this neighbourhood is also the old Jewish neighbourhood, and it's probably one of Andalusia's most iconic uh, barrios. Colourful, full of character. This is the real old Seville. It's very touristy, but it still has that very small town ambience. Um, it's a maze of narrow cobbled streets, incredibly romantic with its little squares tucked away, um, has some amazing tapas bars and also uh, lots of good places to go and see flamenco. Uh, the Santa Cruz neighbourhood dates back to medieval times. Uh, it's a very compact uh, barrio. Some streets are so narrow you have to sort of walk down them in single file. In terms of accommodation, uh, very small uh, apartments. There aren't uh, really any high-rise uh, apartment buildings in the centre of Seville. So you're looking at two, three, maybe four-storey uh, very old buildings. Um, you're not going to find large, spacious apartments in Santa Cruz. You're looking at maybe one, two or three-bedroomed apartments. Probably a bit too central, really, uh, in terms of living. Uh, very lively, very boisterous and loud. Um, I mean, if that's your kind of thing and you like living right in the very centre of cities, then I guess it's a good choice. But as I say, it's incredibly touristy as well and always very busy. Just to the west of Santa Cruz is Arenal. Uh, this neighbourhood... Uh, borders on the Guadalquivir River, the river that runs through uh, Seville, a uh, very beautiful part of the city. This is home to the Bullring and Seville's Torre del Oro, uh, the Golden Tower, which is where uh, the gold was stored that had been robbed and taken from South America. Uh, but it's a very beautiful tower. It's a lovely walk along the river, uh, the Paseo Alcalde Marques de Contadero. Really lovely walk. Uh, beautiful part of the city. Still very much in the centre. It's considered uh, fairly upmarket, really. Uh, lots of uh, posh cocktail bars. A beautiful network of streets that surround the 18th century bullring known as Arenal. So the neighbourhood takes its name from the bullring, the Plaza de Toros. Uh, it's a quite an expensive residential neighbourhood um, and you will see uh, very well-dressed locals walking around in the evening uh, going from tapas bar to tapas bar. Uh, in terms of accommodation, slightly more on the upscale end of the price range. Uh, again, but it's all very low-rise, small townhouses of two, three, maybe four storeys. And again, most accommodation that you're going to find in this part of the city are going to be fairly small, you know, two or three bedroom apartments. And across the river from Arenal is a very famous neighbourhood called Triana. Uh, now, Triana really considers itself its own town. It, uh, the locals in Triana uh, like to say that they're not from Seville, but they're from Triana. Um, uh, officially, it is counted as a neighbourhood of Seville, but again, it has a very separate and unique identity. Uh, it's a bit more gritty uh, when you get across the river. It's said to be the home of flamenco. Uh, traditionally, it was known as a gypsy neighbourhood. It still has a sort of gypsy feel to it. Uh, some of the most influential flamenco artists 
and some of the most notable bullfighters of the last 200 years are said to have come from the Triana uh, neighbourhood. So it's a very emblematic area of Seville. Um, it used to be a very poor neighbourhood of fishermen and gypsies, um, but today it's, uh, uh, it's changed a lot. It's uh, one of the favourite areas for tourists and locals to go out. It's incredibly lively and vibrant, uh, full of little tapas bars. And there aren't really any sort of major monuments in uh, Triana. Uh, really, it's all about the atmosphere on the streets. You will see some of the houses are uh, a little bit run down, depending on whereabouts you are in the neighbourhood. It can be very noisy at night. But a, a, a fantastic neighbourhood to live, I think, uh, on the cheaper end of the spectrum for Seville. And um, yeah, great nightlife, very lively and uh, still a very authentic neighbourhood. And then just uh, south of Triana, on the other side of the river, is a neighbourhood called Los Remedios. Uh, Los Remedios uh, is a very normal residential neighbourhood, um, very different to Triana. It's composed mostly of fairly modern apartment blocks um, and again on the cheaper end of the spectrum. It's just a very normal working neighbourhood of Seville um, and away from all of the tourist attractions. Uh, in terms of apartments, you're going to find slightly bigger apartments, more modern, uh, taller apartment blocks. You're going to get a bit more light uh, balconies and you're going to get a little bit more for your money as well in Los Remedios neighbourhood. So if you're not fussed about being in a very traditional neighbourhood and you're not too bothered about being close to all of the monuments, uh, Los Remedios is a really good option. And of course, don't forget, you're only a short walk to Triana. So let's now head up to the north of the city centre to the Macarena Barrio, a notable for uh, some of the largest remaining sections of the old Moorish city wall. It's not really as quaint as maybe Triana or Santa Cruz, and it's more of a less touristy, has more of a local vibe. Uh, it's, a, it's an area where the locals tend to go out and socialise and drink, etc., so that's uh, La, Ma La Macarena, uh, closer to the city centre than uh, Los Remedios, but again, more of a, a, an average, normal working neighbourhood of Seville. If you're looking to live in a hip neighbourhood of Seville, Alameda is uh, probably the most trendy. And uh, again, this attracts a lot of uh, overseas and foreign students uh, who decide to live in this area. And it's a place where you can find a variety of restaurants and bars which are sort of outside of the normal traditional Spanish uh, food. So more trendy cocktail bars and that kind of thing. Be aware that uh, if you're not a student, uh, it can be a very noisy part of the city. Um, and uh, it's not really a part of the city where the locals necessarily uh, go out to have a drink and socialise. Uh, it's a bit of a student uh, ghetto, if you like. And finally, to round off uh, Seville and this podcast, 
let's have a look at the neighbourhood called Nerbion. Nerbion is uh, to the west of the city centre, uh, not too far from uh, Seville's Plaza de España. Uh, Seville's Plaza de España is a huge semicircle square uh, flanked by a sort of red brick arcaded building with a little moat. Uh, I believe it was built in the 1920s for a world fair and it's really spectacular uh, it's it's very impressive it's on a very huge scale it is a sort of classic tourist attraction in Seville and uh, just across from the Plaza de España is uh, a huge and beautiful lush park called Parque de Maria Luisa so Nerbion Nerbion is quite close to Plaza de España and it's also uh, close to the Ramon Sanchez Pizjuan uh, Stadium as well. Uh, Nerbion, it's in a, again a sort of more modern part of the city. Uh, it's more of a business district. It's fairly well connected to the centre. Um, it's well known as a shopping area with big department stalls. And as I say, it's home to the Seville Football Club uh, Stadium as well. It's a fairly quiet area uh, where the apartments tend to be bigger and more modern. If you're looking for a smaller property, uh, it's probably unlikely that you're going to find uh, a small property in this area. And this area is probably uh, more appropriate for people looking for a, uh, a city centre lifestyle in Seville, but in a more laid back and quieter area, it tends to attract uh, a lot of families. So there we go, uh, another epic podcast, a whirlwind tour of uh, several neighbourhoods of Spain's four largest cities. Uh, don't forget to head across to uh, wheninspain.org. I will include uh, links and maps to uh, Barcelona, Madrid, uh, Valencia and Seville so that you can uh, get an idea of uh, where the places are and where the neighbourhoods are that I've uh, talked about in this episode. I hope the information has been useful. This has really been a sort of rough guide uh, just to, to flag up and mention some names and give a very brief uh, introduction to these neighbourhoods. Of course, there are many more resources on the internet. So thank you for listening. Uh, this has been episode five. I've been Paul Burge from a baking hot Madrid. Our next episode will be coming up uh, next Wednesday. And um, I may uh, do a bonus episode or two between now and then. So keep your ears open for some bonus episodes. Of course, if you subscribe to the podcast, you will automatically receive those as soon as they are released. So thanks again and adios. Thank you.